We have a three-part series on the Book of Ruth, Megillat Ruth. Of course, uh, one of the reasons has to do with the fact that the practice is to read the Book of Ruth on Shavuot, and we're right in the middle of the Omer, halfway through the Omer. So it's a good preparation for the holiday of Shavuot. In addition to that, uh, those who participated in the Sunday morning sessions for the last many weeks, we looked at the idea of kingship as it emerges from the end of the book of Shoftim and the beginning of the book of Shmuel. So the study of Ruth uh, is really a very uh, natural continuation of that study. Because the book of Ruth begins in the very first pasuk by Hebrew Meishvot HaShoftim. The story takes place, we are told, in the time of the Shoftim. That's the beginning of the book, the first verse. And the end of the book of Ruth is a genealogy of King David, beginning with uh, Perez, the son of Yehuda, and leading up to the last verse of the book, V'yishai Holidat David, David, of course, representing the kingship, and the kingship emerges in the book of Ruth from, from the heroes of the book, from Ruth, from Boaz, and from Naomi. So the book actually speaks of a transition from Shoftim to Shmuel. Shmuel being, of course, the book about kingship, the idea of kingship being the central theme of Shmuel. So what more natural continuation of what we've been studying than to take a look at Megillat Ruth. Now, the first question when we look at the book of Ruth, and we plan is to have three Sunday mornings devoted to the book of Ruth. Uh, the book of Ruth is, the language of Ruth, when you read it, it sounds very much like Breshit. It sounds like the language of it. it. sounds like the language of the Torah. The academics believe, and I have no reason to doubt this, that the Book of Ruth is a later work. The dating of these books is an imprecise science, but it's connected to language. And if we find language in the book that suggests that it's later, that's one of the primary, uh, primary tools that are used to date the book. The idea that the Book of Ruth is a much later book is supported by something within our tradition, which is that the Book of Ruth in our tradition is included in the five Megillot. The Megillot are part of Ketuvim. This Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, the writings, and one of the primary uh, ideas behind the grouping of things as writings is the date. The writings, generally speaking, are much later. So within our tradition, we include the Book of Ruth in Ketuvim. I believe in the Christians, uh, and in the Septuagint as well, the Book of Ruth is found in between the Book of Shoftim and the Book of Shmuel. So I think it's fair to say that it's a later work which sees itself, which presents itself as a bridge between the Book of Shoftim on one hand and the Book of Shmuel on the other. And I think that can be uh, supported by the language of the Book of Ruth, the themes of the Book of Ruth, that they seem to be related on one hand to the period of the Shoftim, and on the other hand, 
to the beginning of the book of Shmuel. So for example, the very beginning of the book of Ruth, Vahibi Meshvot HaShoftim, Vahirav Baaretz, Vayelech Ishmi Beiluhechim Yehuda Logur B'Stei Moav, Hu V'Yishto Ashtei Banav, the very first verse, the time of the judges, there was a famine, and a man went from Beit Lechem in Yehuda to dwell in the fields of Moab, he, his wife, and his two sons. So the idea of somebody leaving his place and going elsewhere, that is the setting for the last two stories in the book of Judges. The book of Shoftim, and those who studied it remember this, of course, that the last five chapters of Shoftim consist of two stories, the first being the idol of Micha, and the second, the concubine of Giva, the first being chapters 17 and 18 of Judges, and the second, 18, 19, uh, 19, 20, 21. And each of those two stories begins the same way. So I'll read it. Let's see, chapter 17 of the book of Shoftim begins, uh, There was a man, a man from Harephraim, and he stole something from his mother, and he gives it back to her, and he decides to dedicate a temple. And then in chapter 17, verse number 7, there was a levy from Beit from Lechem, and he happens to live there, and he sets out to live wherever, and he comes to the house, to Harephraim, to the house of Michal, the house of idolatry. That's the story in chapters 17 and 18, and it's all about Micha and this Levi who becomes a priest, the tribe of Don, anarchy, etc. That's the first story. And the next story, which is the last story of the book of Judges, of Shoftim, that's the sad story of the concubine of Giva. And in that story, once again, there's a Levi, chapter 19, verse 1, here the man is from Harephraim, and he has a wife slash concubine, and she, she deserts him, she leaves him, and she goes to her father's house, which is Beit Lechem Yehuda. She goes from Harephraim to Beit Lechem, and then this man sets out to retrieve his wife and to bring her back from Beit Lechem to Har Ephraim, which he succeeds in doing. But on the way back, they make a stop at Giva, and that's where all the troubles begin. Pilegesh by Giva. But in each case, it's about people leaving their place appropriately or inappropriately, setting out for someplace else, and there's trouble. And that's how the beginning of the book of Ruth begins. Megillat Ruth, he may shvotashoftim, and there's a man named Elimelech who leaves Beit Lechem and he goes to stay Moab to the fields of Moab. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes. He goes to Moab with his family. So that's the, one of the connections to the end of Shoftim. It's another story. And in fact, if you think about it, the next story in the Bible, after the two stories of the book of Judges, the next in our Bible, 
is the story of Hannah, Shmuel chapter one, and there too. There is a man in the beginning of Shmuel Elkanah, and we are told that this man, Ephrati, he's from Ephrat, he's from Ephraim, let's say, and he travels periodically to go to Shiloh. So once again, it's a man who leaves his home here periodically, and he takes a journey to the house of God, to Shiloh, which turns out to be a place of utter corruption. So once again, it's about the travel, and the hero of the story, of course, is Hannah. And in that story of Hannah, she's the hero. In the beginning of the book, her husband tries to comfort her. She wants children, she has no children. And Elkanah says to her in chapter one of Shmuel, why do you cry? Why don't you eat? Am I not better to you than 10 children? Now, at the very end of the book of Ruth, chapter four, the very end of the book, so we have uh, the women after Ruth has a child and the women say to uh, Naomi, to Naomi, that God has um, restored your soul and you have a child you have a redeemer. So the end of the book has the women consoling Naomi and saying, what joy you have, the, your beloved daughter-in-law, who's better than seven sons, has given birth. So that recalls the beginning of the book of Shmuel. So I think it was fairly clear, and there are other literary connections as well. We'll come back to some of them perhaps in the course of our study. But what is clear is that the book of Ruth, though it may be a later work, and I'm quite sure it is a later work, but is written as the bridge between the book of Shoftim on one hand and the book of Shmuel on the other. In other words, the movement from Shoftim, in which there is no central authority, there's no king, to the book of Shmuel, which speaks of a unified nation and one king. And it's very interesting, actually, that the name of the man who leaves Beit uh, Lechem to go to stay Moab is named Eli Melech, which means quite literally, God is my king, which of course can be seen as a theme of the book of Shoftim. That is to say, there's no human king. There's no one king. There are judges, tribal leaders, but Gidon said, when they asked Gidon to be the king, he says, you have a king. God is your king. Whether we believe that or not is another story, but that's what he says. That was Shmuel, the prophet's argument that God's the king, so we shouldn't have a human king. The book of Judges is about God is king. The book of Shmuel, of course, is all about the possibilities and challenges of the human king. So what we're looking at in the book of Ruth, among other things, we're thinking about the transition to kingship, which in the book of Ruth, David is the ideal king. David is, the book of Ruth holds kingship up as an ideal and suggests to us that what, what allows for kingship in the positive sense are the behaviors of the three heroes of the book, of Ruth, of Naomi, and of Boaz, that their heroism which is all on the level of family, interpersonal, it's not about politics. 
It's about the way people act in their personal lives. And these kind of behaviors of self-sacrifice, of altruism, of caring, are what leads to the ideal king. That's the Book of Ruth. The Book of Ruth certainly holds kingship up as a positive. Within the Bible, there are different texts, but in the Book of Ruth, the Megillah, it's certainly a positive. That's the first point I wanted to make by way of introducing the Book of Ruth. Let me make a couple of other points about Megillat Ruth. Um, Megillat Ruth is a very beautiful book. And it's a very positive book. It is beautifully constructed. And what's interesting about the book of Ruth and makes it almost perhaps unique in our Bible is <clears throat> there are no negative characters in the book of Ruth. They're only part, there are, there are, are, are superb human beings and they're normal human beings, but there are no bad human beings. And I'll give you an example of this. <coughs> in chapter one and chapter four, so chapter one, of course, is the story takes place on, the, the main story takes place on the path back to the land, to Beit Lechem, the road back. Naomi uh, meets tragedy, the all meet tragedy in Moab, and Naomi sets back, determines to go back to Beit Lechem. And her two daughters-in-law accompany her on the way back. And Naomi turns to the daughters-in-law in chapter one and says to them, why do you go with me? There's no point to go with me because there's no future. I'm too old to have children. Even if I could have children, you're going to wait around forever till I, till I have the children. You'll be tied down. She says to her two daughters and will go back to Moab, leave, you have lives to, to live, go home, get married, have a nice life, don't go with me. And they both say, they both say, no, we're both going to go with you. That's both of them say, he has, she has two daughters in law, Ruth and Arpa. And then Naomi persists. She says to them, there's no point to, to, to accompany me. Let's find that pasuk. Um, that's in, uh, now we come to the 11th pasuk. Then she says, I can't have children. I'm too old. And if I could, why should you wait? Initially, she just said, go back. It's, you have to live. They said, we're going with you. You hope for, you hope for the future. There's no point, she says. So she makes a second argument here, which is a very important argument for the book. She says, don't go with me. There's no future for you. And on top of that, she says, Hashem, she mentions God several times. Hashem is my enemy. Hashem has been out to get me. I'm a person. I'm a human being who is seen by God as, as bad, as God's enemy. God afflicts me. Why would you cast your lot with somebody who was afflicted by God? That's her second argument. So the, after this argument, they again, they again cry. But Ruth cleaves unto her. And here we have one of the famous and important conversations in the book. Naomi turns to Ruth and says, go back. 
Why don't you follow the example of your, the, my other daughter-in-law? Shuvi Yacharev and Teich. And Ruth famously says, don't try to stop me. Al Tifki be. Where you go, I will go. Basher basher I'm not going back. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. And she says, basher tamuti And now when does she say that, she also takes an oath. I swear, only death will separate us. So the first point is that the other woman is not presented as a bad person. Quite the opposite. She Naomi says, go back home. And she goes. They're walking together with her, both of them. And then Naomi makes another argument, one of the two arguments. And at that point, Arpa cries, kisses her, and goes home. But Ruth goes, one might say, the extra mile. Ruth is determined. The Ruth Dovkaba, Ruth cleaves unto her. She swears in God's name. She's not going to leave her. It's exemplary, it's, and, and she's told there's no future for you. The assumption of the book in chapter one is nobody will ever marry Ruth. Only Naomi would be willing to have her children marry Ruth, and she's too old. So nobody will ever marry you. If you ever want to get married, don't come with me. That's the assumption of the book. Nonetheless, for whatever reason, for Ruth Dov Kabbalah. That's in chapter one. And in chapter four, we have exactly the same scenario. In chapter four, that's the story of the redemption of the land, of the property that is owned by Naomi, either is owned or was owned by Naomi, not clear. But in any event, the land has to be redeemed, has to be purchased by a relative, a goel. And it seems to be a package deal that in the purchase of the land, goes hand in hand with, the, with, with taking Ruth as a wife. Difficult psukim, but my point is, Boaz says to Ruth, I'm going to take you one way or the other, we're going to solve your problem. So in chapter four, Boaz sees the closer relative, the Goel, sits him down, finds 10 elders, sits them down, and presents his case to the, to the, to the judges and the public our Naomi either has sold or will sell a field. And I said, Will you are you willing to redeem the field for her? You're a relative. You're the Goel, you're the closest relative. Are you willing to redeem the field? So the relative says, Yes, I will. I will be the Goel. I'll accept my responsibility. And then Boaz adds, Let me tell you something. In buying this field, there's another obligation. It's a package deal. You want to buy, you're willing to buy the field, that's a good thing. Torah speaks of a goel. But in this case, it comes together with Ruth. And the goel says that I can't do. Whatever that means, maybe we'll leave that for week three. Difficult verse. But so Boaz says, the goel says, so you do it. You, you, you do it. You're the second closest. You do it. And Boaz makes a transaction with this other Goel. And Boaz becomes, replaces, takes the responsibility of the closer relative. But my point is that there too, in chapter four, we have the same scenario. The Goel, the unnamed Goel, is not a bad person. 
The opposite. He's willing to be the normal standard goel that the Torah speaks of. He does what the Torah demands. But in this particular case, for whatever reason, it's a package deal. He won't go the extra mile. So Boaz is the one who goes the extra mile. It's a book where there are no bad people. They're the standard people, maybe even the good people, and then are the people who go beyond. What we would call chesed, going beyond. So it's a book about chesed. It's a book about doing more than is required. But there's some kind of relationship, perhaps, between doing what is required, on one hand, a society that has rules, that people do what is required, and then there's some people who go beyond. Not only what is required, but way beyond. And those are the heroes of the book. It's Ruth in chapter one, it's Boaz in chapter four. Of course, the character of Naomi is a main character in the book as well, as we'll see. That's what this book is about. So it's a very, it's a very warm and beautiful book, beautifully constructed, and hopefully get an opportunity these weeks to, uh, to look carefully at some of these verses. I wanted to today to focus on the character of Ruth as it appears in the book and to look at specifically to begin with the first chapter, with chapter one. Um, if you have questions, un unmute yourself and, and speak up. Everybody is welcome to talk. So before we continue with jump right into the book of Ruth, if anybody wants to comment, please do. Uh, oh, comments are welcome. If there are no comments, I'll just continue then. But please feel free to talk up. Let's begin now from the beginning with very first pasuk. So somebody leaves Beit Lechem in the time of the Shoftim and goes to Steymoav. That's Pasuk Aleph. Now what's curious here is, what do we know about Moav? The book of Ruth presumes, and to some degree is rooted in, uh, stories of Moav was one of the heroes of the book, perhaps the main hero, is none other than Ruth, who's called Ruta Moaviyah. She's a Moabite woman. So what do we know about Moab? And we know several things about Moab. First of all, we know that Moab is one of the two children of Lot. In chapter 19, we have the story of the destruction of Sodom. And we know that um, at the end of that story, Lot escapes Sodom, or is dragged out of Sodom, one might say, with his two of his daughters. The two daughters that he had planned to give away to the, um, to the people of Sodom. It's curious, by the way, that that story of Lot offering his daughters to the people of Sodom is replayed in the Bible in the story of Pilagesh Bagivra. That's where the man throws his concubine out the door to the mob of Giva. It's curious. That's one of the stories that the book says, that's the, that's the last story of the book of Shoftim. In any event, that's one story. That's one story. The story of Lot and Sodom and Lot's daughters and the birth of the oldest child is named Moab, Ma'av from my father. The daughters sleep with their father. Each daughter has a child. That's one story, the story of Lot. And then we know 
that the Torah speaks of the land of Moab. And the Torah says in the book of Devarim, Torah says in the book of Devarim, in saying which, which peoples are welcome into your community, the Torah says, mm-hmm. The Moabite and the Ammonites may not enter the congregation, even the 10th generation. And the Torah gives two reasons why they can't be part of your community. Number one, because they did not greet you with food, lechem, or water on the path when you left Mitzrayim. That's one reason. And number two, because they hired Bilam to curse you. And the Torah adds, but God, by but God reversed the, the, cur- the, ble- the curse, turned it into a blessing, because God loves you. Seek not their peace or, or good. Ever. Don't ever allow them in. Don't seek their good. Don't get involved with them. They're just trouble, and for those two reasons. That essentially is what we know about Moab, and of course, the king of Moab, Balak, is the one who hires Bilam to curse the people. So the Torah has excluded the Moabites from the Jewish community. And now we have a book where the hero, one of the heroes, will be a Moabite woman who will be fully accepted into the community. So we'll address that question. The Talmud has one response, one explanation how it's possible. But the simple reading of the Book of Ruth will take us in a little bit of a different direction, I think. But here's my point about verse number one. What do you say about a person? There's a famine in the land. Where does he leave when there's a famine in the land? He leaves Beit Lechem, the house of bread. So he leaves the house of bread when there's a famine. And where does he go? He goes to the fields of Moab. And what is Moab known for? Answer. They didn't greet you with bread and water when you were on the, on the road. What a strange choice. Why would somebody leave Beit Lechem to go to a place? So the first verse does not augur well for Elimelech, Naomi's husband. But of course, the very first verse recalls for us the psukim in the Chumash about Moab, and as we read the story, we have to keep in mind the intertexts that deal with Moab. That's very important. Let's now begin to read our book. Let's see how far we can get this morning. Uh, okay, so the, we're told the shame Isha. Now I'm going to read, continuing in the second pasuk. The shame Isha Rimelech, the shame Ishto Nami, the shame Shnei Banav, Machon Bichirion Efratimi, Beilechem Yuda, Bayavos, Stemolav, Bayi Yusham. We're told 
the shame, the name of the man, Elimelech, the name of the woman, Naomi, the name of the children, Machlon and Kilion. And they go to Moab and they are Sham. Shame, 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 and then Sham. Now we get to the next verses. Elimelech dies in verse number three. Naomi is bereft, they're left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women. <coughs> the name of one is Arpa, the name of the other is Ruth. And they live there for 10 years. So we notice something interesting over here that in the first set, shame, 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 three shames and one sham. Four and the next set, shame achatapar, shame hashinichrut, vayeshu sham. So, seven times we have the shin mem, the shame, and the sham. Now, what is that about? That's the emphasis in the very beginning of the book. And the point that will be central to the book is what is lost in chapter one are not only the lives of Naomi's husband and children. But what is lost in chapter one are the names. They have no names. The name is lost. And what will be required in the book, if the book is to have a happy ending, is the restoration of the name. Now, where does the Torah speak about restoring a name? So the Torah speaks about restoring a name when the Chumash, in the 25th chapter of the book of Devarim, talks about the institution called Yibum, or leveret marriage. That is, if a man dies and he has no children, then the, then the relative, the Ach, which is understood rabbinically to be the brother, it probably means the relative and not the brother. It's narrowed rabbinically to be only the brother. So let's call it the brother. The brother is to marry the deceased brother's wife for the purpose of lo Yisrael, the name shall not be wiped out, the name shall not be lost. So right in the beginning of the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth is setting up for us the institution of Yibum as a central feature of the book. And in fact, at the very end of the book of Ruth in chapter four, after Ruth uh, marries Boaz, uh, and Boaz had said to Ruth, Boaz had said to the, to the Redeemer, to the closer relative in verse 10, he said, Actually, Boaz says this to the, to the people afterwards, he, after he agrees to marry Ruth. To establish the name of the dead man on his inheritance, the name of the dead man shall not be wiped out, shall not be eliminated. And then when the uh, women speak up afterwards and they bless, uh, they bless the family. So the, the idea was the restoration of the name. And again in verse 14, the idea of a name. 
And in fact, the, the friends give a name to the child. They call the child, they say about the child, you are Ben Wunami, a child that's been born to Naomi. And they named him Oved, the father of Yishai, the father of David. So what we encounter in the very beginning of the book, and the central theme of the book, is the loss of the name and the restoration of the name. And the book immediately, the very beginning of the book, is placing before us, reminding us of the institution of leveret marriage. The institution of leveret marriage will be a central feature of the Book of Ruth. And the institution of leveret marriage, before you get to chapter 25 of the Book of Devarim, we have already encountered, in a sense, leveret marriage in the narratives of the Torah. And we encounter it in two different places. The, we encounter it in chapter 38 of Breshit, the story of Judah and Tamar. That's a story that is central to the book of Ruth. We're not getting into all the details now, but we'll get there maybe next week. But the truth of the matter is, and there the word Yibum is found. There we had, the word Yibum is actually found in chapter 38. But the truth of the matter is that we encountered the idea of leveret marriage in an earlier story of the Torah. The story that I mentioned a few minutes ago, namely Lot and his, and his daughters. Because the daughters believe after the destruction of the Sodom and the other cities, they believe there's no man left. There's no man they can marry, there's no man they can have children with. And they determine, therefore, to continue the world or their world by sleeping with their father, and each one sleeps with their father, and each one has a child. So that's a kind of leveret marriage. And we have to remember something about leveret marriage. Leveret marriage in the Torah, if the brother marries, let's, let's forget about the daughter sleeping with their father. Well, let's speak about the normal case where the brother marries his deceased brother's wife. Well, a brother marrying a brother's wife, even a deceased brother's wife, is on the list of forbidden relationships. It's considered incestuous, incestuous, incestuous. So Yibum, by definition, is a forbidden relationship. Now, one might argue that the father-daughter uh, forbidden relationship is more severe, and that's possible, but they're both forbidden. So incest is, is in those cases, becomes permissible under the circumstances. So we have two stories actually in the Chumash, in the book of Breshit, which speak one way or the other about leveret marriage. One is explicit, Judah and Tamar, but the one that precedes it in chapter 19, that's the story of Lot and his daughters. And that's interesting for our purposes because of course Judah and Tamar, Judah and Tamar produce two sons, twins, one is named Peretz, and the lineage of King David is ascribed to Peretz through Boaz. 
So Boaz comes from Peretz. Ruth comes from Moab. So the two sides of David's family, one is Peretz and the other is Moab. One is Boaz and one is Ruth. What they share in common is Yibum of sorts, leveret marriage. So the book of Ruth will have another kind of leveret marriage, namely Ruth and Boaz is a leveret marriage, as we will see in our study. So the idea of the loss of the name and the restoration of the name is central to the book of Ruth. It's actually about Yibum. It's actually about taking responsibility. Now we'll see about the Yibum. The relationship of Ruth and Boaz is very interesting from the standpoint of Yibum, because the book makes it clear. Boaz says this explicitly. He's not the closest relative. There's somebody closer. So when we get to the story of Judah and Tamar, which is the parallel story, there too, we have leveret marriage of sorts, but it's not with the closest relative, it's with the second closest relative, namely Judah. Judah's relationship to Tamar is not the closest relative. His son is the closest relative. He's the next closest. But we'll get to all this. But my point is, in the very beginning of the book, we have the loss of the names, the shame, five times shame and two times shame. That's how we begin. Now let's continue our story. So we're told that in the course of these 10 years, in verse number four, these two sons, Machlon and Kilion, Machlon and Kilion, very strange names for children. Kilion means destruction. Machlon probably means sickness or illness. Gloom and doom, the two sons, gloom and doom, are these really names or descriptions? But they both die, and they both die after having taken Moabite women. And now Naomi is bereft of her husband, She's bereft of her two children, children, and from the husband. We notice something else about traveling to stay Moab, and that is that when they first come to stay Moab, it says, stay Moab, in verse number three, they were there, and then, Elimelech dies. The two sons married two Moabite women. They live there, they dwell there. That's stronger than they happen to be there. But Loshevet means to take up to take up a place there. So they, 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 they have their place. But now Naomi has lost everything. She's lost both sons. She's lost her husband. And now in verse number six, she started with her daughters to return from the country of Moab. The Vatoshav, of course, would appear to refer primarily to Naomi who's returning. We can't speak of the Moabite women as returning to the land. They were never in the land. They were never in, never in Beit Lechem or Eretz Kanaan. They're Moabites, but they return with her. The verb to return is primarily directed to Naomi, but they're going to accompany her. They're going to cast their lot with her. That's how they start off. 
And why is she going to return at this point? She hears in chapter one, somehow she hears, that God has redeemed God's people. God has remembered God's people to give them lechem. So already in chapter one, suddenly God is interjected into the narrative as one who is okay, who redeems. And we'll see that this same theme appears in chapter four. One and four are two chapters that must be read together. One and four read together. In each case, God will, God will interpose God into the story. Here God is the repocate. And in chapter four, we have the interesting verse which talks about Ruth's pregnancy by Yitain Hashem unusual construction. God made her pregnant. God gave her pregnancy. So God is involved in the book of Ruth, but the nature of God's involvement in the book of Ruth, we will have to look at very carefully. The book of Ruth, God may be there in a sense, but the book of Ruth is about the characters and how they interplay with each other. It's very much about the characters. And I would add to this an important point about the book of Ruth. Let's say in contrast with the book of Esther, my beloved book of Esther, love the book. Book of Esther, the narrator does a lot of the presenting. The book of Esther has very little conversation, direct conversation, between the characters. The great percentage of the book, someone is speaking, the book talks to us. The book of Ruth is precisely the opposite. In the book of Ruth, there's an enormous amount of dialogue between the characters and the narrator takes a back seat in the book of Ruth. It's very much about the characters, how they talk, how they behave. And God has a place, so we'll have to think about God's place in the book. In any event, Naomi sets back. Verse number seven. So it says she went, she, singular, leaves the place, Asher Haita Shama, that she was there. That's an interesting construction, Asher Haita Shama. Because it could have said, suggests something different. which is what it says in the beginning, suggests that she found herself there. And it was never actually her choice. It was her husband's choice. And when Melech goes and takes her with him. But there's a sense in this pasuk, that she was never fully there. Given her druther, she might never have left in the first place. She found herself in this situation. As people often do, they find themselves in a place they don't want to be for any number of reasons. But she's never was deeply connected to Moab. Maybe he was, but she's not. So she, it's not that difficult for her to pick up and go back 
course, she has nothing there in the land of Moab. But she responds to what she understands to be God's remembering, Al-Qad Hashem, to remember or to redeem the land. And she sets back. And as I mentioned before, Shtei Karotela Ima. She's accompanied by the two daughters-in-law in a sign of solidarity with her. And she's on the derech. And they are on the, the derech. Now let me just say something about the structure of the Book of Ruth. Book of Ruth is actually very interesting. There are four chapters. And there are four settings in the book. The first setting is baderech. This chapter is about what happens on the journey back, on the path. Second chapter, after Naomi returns with Ruth to the land, the setting is the field. The field when Ruth goes out to glean from the field and to bring food back for the older woman, for Naomi, to support her. That's scene number, that's scene number two, takes place by Sodeh. Scene number three, the setting of scene number three is the threshing floor of, of Boaz, the Goren. That's scene number three. And scene number four takes place at the gate, at the Shar. Uboaz Allah Hashar by Yeshev Sham. So each of these scenes has a very particular place. The place is important. The path is the first one, the field, the Sadeh, the Goran, and the Shar. So we'll hopefully have an opportunity to think about the significance of the place. It's interesting that these four chapters, that actually, in a funny way, there's a kind of table of contents in chapter one about the book of Ruth. The, to jump ahead for a moment to the famous statement of Ruth, when Naomi says to her, follow your sister, the other daughter-in-law's path and go back to, to your people, go back to Moab, don't come with me. I'm bad news, don't come with me. And Ruth says to Naomi in verse number 16, Pasuk Tetzayin, Don't entreat me to abandon you, to turn back from you. Where you would go, I go. Where you sleep, I sleep. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. And I would say that that verse actually is the table of contents for the book. I would translate, where you might have gone, I will go for you. That, of course, is the next chapter. Ruth says to Naomi, let me go. Let me go to the field. Let me go. Let me go. Because I will collect the food. I don't expect an old woman like you to go around the field picking up the gleanings. I'm a young person. Where you would go, I will go. 
That's chapter two. Chapter three, Bashar Tolini Olim, where you would sleep, I will sleep. That's the story of the threshing floor. That's the story of the of the request of Boaz to marry Ruth. That's Ruth lying down next to Boaz. The truth of the matter is, Ruth is not related to Boaz. Naomi is related to Boaz. The Yibum should take place. The marriage should be Boaz and Naomi, not Boaz and Ruth. But of course, Boaz and Naomi wouldn't accomplish much. Naomi said about herself, I'm too old to have children. So Ruth is the proxy for Naomi. We'll get to that clear from the text of chapter three that Ruth acts as Naomi's proxy. Basher Tolini Olin, where you would lie, I'll lie in your place. And finally, chapter four. Chapter four is about the acceptance of Ruth by the Jewish people. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. That's the subject matter of chapter four. That's the grand conclusion to the book. The full acceptance of Ruth as a card-carrying citizen, an important person within the uh, Jewish community. So actually, this verse, which is powerful in its own right, actually is the table of contents for the entire book. That's what the book's about. Going out to the field, lying down, the threshing floor, acceptance, that's the gate, that's the judgment. That's the full acceptance, not just by the judges, but by the entire community, all the people in the public space, the people in the gate. Okay, now let's get back to chapter one again, return to our chapter. And I had mentioned earlier, we had read or summarized the beginnings of the chapter, Orpah goes back, and Ruth is entreated to go back as well. Naomi, one of the heroes, she has the other person's best interest at heart. That's what this book is about. It's thinking about the other person first. So that's what Naomi says, do what's best for yourself. What's best for you, you're a young woman, go back to your land, you're a Moabite, go back to your place. You'll find young people who will accept you. She assumes nobody will accept Ruth except for herself and she's too old. So you have a life to live. My life is basically over, she says. God is not my friend. Don't come with me, there's no reason to come with me. There may even be a religious reason not to come with me, she's saying. If, you want, if God's my enemy, the friend of my enemy is my enemy. So what do you want, God to be your enemy? Haven't you suffered enough? That's what she says to Ruth. And Ruth says, forget about it. Altifki be, don't try to, don't try to entreat me. Don't try to convince me to, uh, to leave you. Where you die, I will die. Only death will separate us. And she swears. And here's the two important points about what Ruth says and what is reported of Ruth by the text. What is reported of Ruth by the text, the root dovka ba. Ruth cleaved unto her, root dovka ba. That's an important word in the book. I want to talk about it 
here in chapter one, it appears elsewhere as well. And that's number one. Number two, the idea of taking an oath. Is an oath. I swear, she says, I'm not going to abandon you. Only death will separate us. And here I believe one of the things that the book has in mind is to point us in the, in the direction of one of these stories which lies behind the book of Ruth. And of course, that's the story of Lot. Lot was commanded by the by God's messengers, these Malachim, to leave Sodom. God is planning to destroy Sodom, and Lot is told to leave. And the Torah says when Lot is told to leave, in chapter 19 of Breshit, Vayit Muhammad, he tarries, he delays. So these angels grab him and his two daughters, and the wife goes with him at that point as well, and they take them out of, out, out of Sodom. And when they leave Sodom, this is chapter 19. Let me just find this verse in chapter 19 of Breshit. So we have the following conversation. End of chapter 19. Uh, they say to Lot the following. They say to Lot, you have to, don't look behind you. Run to the mountain. Run to the mountain, I presume, means go back to the land you came from. Go back to the land of Canaan. Maybe go back to Abraham, from whom you have separated. And Lot says to them, <coughs> Please. You've been very kind to me, says Lot. A lot of chesed, a lot of kindness. I can't escape to the mountain. Lest death cleave unto me and I die. But rather, let me go to a nearby city, to this, to Tzohar, and then from there he goes to the cave. His daughters sleep with him. Moab is born. Hentid bokali vamati. Lest death cleave unto me. So the book of Ruth tells us about Ruth, the descendant of Lot. For Ruth dovka ba. But Ruth cleaved unto her. And now it does Ruth cleave unto Naomi. But Ruth said to Naomi, Will you die? I will die. If, 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 if our fate is to be a death or a death to die soon, I'm still with you. And only in death can we ever be separate. In life or together, until death do us part, she says. I cleave unto you. So what the book is saying, what Megillah Ruth is saying in the very beginning, when we're reading the story of Ruth, we have to understand that Ruth is a Moabite by birth, but in every other way, she's a non-Moabite. Now, what does it mean to be a non-Moabite in the context of Lot? How, was, how does Lot function in the stories of Lot? 
in chapter 13, in chapter 19. What is, this, what is the literary significance of the character of Lot? Well, the answer is there's more than one significance. But one of them is that Lot is the foil to Abraham. Lot is the opposite of Abraham. He's similar to Abraham in many ways, but he's different from Abraham. Avram is the one who stays inside the land. Lot is the one who leaves the land. Avram is the one who feeds the guests. Lot feeds the guests. But Avram feeds them with the whole family. Avram gets the others to participate in his, in his hospitality and generosity. And Lot operates alone. That's what Lot means, the one who's covered up. That's Lot. Luta Basimra, covered up. So Avram and Lot are parallel characters, but they're opposite. Lot is what Avram is not. Avram is what Lot is not. So if you're not Lot, then potentially you are Avram. And the truth of the matter is that the Book of Ruth presents Ruth as an Abraham figure, both in the sense that she's not like Lot, but more positively in the sense she is like Abraham. And the verse that makes that very clear is the passage that we find in chapter two. Chapter two, Ruth is out in the field, picking up the gleanings from the field to support her mother-in-law and presumably to support herself as well. And Boaz returns to the field. She chances, we are told, to be in the field of Boaz, a relative of Naomi, a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech, Odawi Isha. And Boaz sees this young woman in the field. And he asks the person in charge of the reapers, who is she? Oh, that's the Moabite girl that came back with <coughs> Naomi. So Boaz approaches Ruth. And Boaz says to Ruth, Boaz says to Ruth um, in chapter 2, in the 8th verse of chapter 2, Bayama Boaz Ruth, Harosha Matbiti, Al Terchilu Kot Bisodacher, Begamro Tavuri Mizer, Bechotid Bakin in Narotai. Don't go to another field, he says, and don't leave this field. There we have the word davak again. We'll get back to that some other time. Cleave here to the cleave here, stay close to the girls. Don't go anyplace else. And not only that, he says in the verse number nine, and I've warned the boys not to bother you. Boys aren't going to make trouble with you. And when you get thirsty with some meat, then you can go to the vessels to drink. And you can drink from what the guys are taking. You're an equal over here. You can drink whatever you want. He later will command everybody to let her take as much food as she wants. And when Ruth hears this, she falls down and bows down. Why are you being so good to me? Why do you recognize me as an equal? I'm a, I'm a foreigner. 
I'm a stranger. That's just any old stranger. Moabites. Moabites excluded. Why would you be so nice to me? And Boaz said to her, in verse 11, I've been told all that you did for your mother-in-law after your husband died. You left your father and mother and the land of your sojourning, the land of your birth. You left your birthplace, you left your mother, you left your father. To go to a nation that you did not know from before. And therefore, may God reward you for your actions. And may the God of Israel give you full recompense, the God under whose protective wings you have come. Beautiful verse. But what strikes us here, I think, among other things, is this description of Ruth. You left your mother and father, and you left the land of your birth to go to a place of which you do not know. And the reader reads this verse and remembers a verse from the Torah in chapter 12 of Breshit. Leave, leave your land, the land of your birth, your father's house. To go to the place that I will show you. It's not a place you know. It's the place that I will show you in the future. So Ruth is actually Abraham's spiritual daughter. And she's Abraham's spiritual daughter in a second way. Because if we ask ourselves the question, what marks Abraham in the Chumash? What are the qualities of Abraham that mark him? Positive qualities that mark Abraham. One, of course, is the person who's willing to leave his place and go where God directs him. Lech Lecha, which was God's first command to Abraham in chapter 12, and God's last statement to Abraham in chapter 22, which is the binding of Isaac. Lech Eretz That's one thing that marks Abraham. The willingness to leave where he is, a leap of faith, but the other thing that marks Abraham, of course, is the hospitality and the kindness. The greeting of the strangers. In chapter 18, the strangers who come in walking in the desert, and Abraham standing by his tent, he sees them, rushes to them, feeds them, welcomes them. These are strangers. And also involves others in the hospitality. What God said about Abraham in chapter 18, the end of chapter 18, I know about him. He commands his household to follow in God's ways in order to bring about a blessing. 
to bring it to, to allow God to fulfill God's promises to Abraham. And that's precisely the character of Ruth in chapter 2. The character of Ruth, of course, is willingness to leave her place for the unknown. Uh, and it's the other part of it is the, the kindness. Going out to the field to bring the food back is precisely what the Moabites don't do in the Torah. It's precisely um, what they don't do. She may be a Moabite by birth, but through behavior, she's exactly the opposite. She's the anti-Lot in terms of leaving place. She's the anti-Moab in terms of bringing the Lechem. And as I see that, Alan Septimus, I can't see your picture here, but I see Alan says, and it's not only true of, of uh, Abraham, but it's true of the matriarchs as well. And I would say, Alan, it's specifically true of one of the matriarchs, that is Rebecca. When it comes to Rivka, that's exactly what Rivka is. Rivka is Abraham's spiritual daughter. Because Rivka is both the one who says, Elech. She's the one who says to Abraham's messenger, I will follow you to a distant land. Because she understands that God is calling her. And there's something to Rebecca that in a way transcends Abraham. Because in the case of Rebecca, God doesn't speak to Rebecca directly. God didn't say to Rebecca, Lech, 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 Lech. God didn't say that to Rebecca. Rebecca understands that God is speaking to her. And when asked the question as a very young child, will you go? A one word answer is Elech. And of course the test of Rebecca is do you welcome the stranger? Do you welcome the stranger? And Rebecca passes that test. I, I believe that those two qualities actually, in the case of Rebecca, are actually one. That is to say, they're related to each other. Because the welcoming of the stranger comes from an understanding that actually, what does it mean to welcome the stranger? I, I come to your place and you, Rebecca welcomes the stranger with the camels. What lies behind that is the deep understanding that in a certain sense, Nobody has a place. It means my place. It's God's place. It means my land. In the Chumash, it's God's land. In fact, it's only my land if I understand it's not my land. We are strangers and sojourners. So the idea of place, there's no such thing as my place. So one who understands that this is not my place as opposed to the other place. One who understands that place is relative. The place I should be is the place God wants me to be. So such a person can both make a leap of place, which is a leap of faith, with the understanding that God wants me to be in a different place. And such a person can welcome the stranger, the foreigner, the alien, the immigrant, because the deep understanding is, what do you mean this is my place? Nothing's my place. 
in the ultimate sense, it's God's place. So I happen to be here. And this person happens to be here. So of course, of course I welcome the person in. I see it as an opportunity to do the right thing. It's not the invasion of my space. So I believe those two concepts are actually connected. But yes, it's an important point. Abraham in the Torah has a biological son, Isaac, but he has a spiritual child. And the spiritual child of Abraham is Rebecca. And by the way, the way Rebecca does the kindness, does the chesed, when she greets the stranger, the language of Rebecca in chapter 24, when she greets the stranger, is parallel to the language of Abraham's behavior in chapter 18, when he welcomes in the guests. So in the Chumash, the spiritual child of Abraham, if we had to pick one person, who represents Abraham in terms of what he, do, what he behaves, it's got to be Rebecca. But there's another spiritual child in the Bible of Abraham who represents Abraham in terms of how he behaves. That is the kindnesses, the welcoming of the other, the going out to the field to bring food to the other, and the leap of faith, the chesed. And that's Ruth. So Ruth is truly Abraham's daughter. That's what Boaz is picking up. That's what Boaz's language suggests. Shows she's like Abraham in both senses. She's like Abraham in the sense that she's not Lot, which marks her as Abraham. And she's like Abraham in the direct sense. There's something else here which is interesting about the Book of Ruth in general, and that is that when the Torah speaks about Moab, the exclusion of Moab, so the Torah gave two reasons why we exclude Moab. First of all, because they didn't greet you with bread and water, on the path, on the derech. A derech means when you were in trouble, when you were vulnerable and in trouble, when you had no place. These are our cousins. You would have expected them to be helpful and they were very disappointing. They didn't greet you with lechem. That's one reason. But then the Torah gave another reason. The Torah said we exclude, or we are to exclude the Moabites and the Ammonites, Ammon and Moab, because they hired Bilam to curse you. Actually, in the Chumash, the nation that hires Bilam to curse us is Moab, Balak, the king of Moab. So they hired Moab, is, Moab brings about, Moab is a nation that curses the other. Now, what is very interesting is that in the book of Ruth, one of the markers of the book of Ruth, and we have this several times in the book of Ruth, and it's very interesting, is the number of times in this tiny little four-chapter book, little four little chapters, how many blessings we encounter in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is filled with blessings. It ends with two blessings, and in chapter two, the next chapter, 
Maybe next week we'll have an opportunity to delve more deeply into chapter two. But we have many blessings in chapter two. And chapter two actually begins with an exchange of blessings. Boaz comes from, from, from Beit Lechem, we're told. Um, he says to the Kotrim, may God be with you. That's a blessing. And God bless you. It's an exchange of blessings. And when he meets Ruth, he says to Ruth, don't leave my field, stay here. Uh, you can eat whatever you want and you can drink whatever you want. And then he blesses her. He says, she says, why are you being so nice to me? Because I know what you've done for your mother-in-law, how you abandoned your home. You went to a nation of which you know little. And may God bless you. So Ruth, Ruth is a person in chapter two and elsewhere we'll see who brings about blessing. That also marks her as the non-Moabite. The Moabites try to curse. In the case of Bilam, God loved you and God converted the curse into a blessing. Out of love, God has transformed blessings, curses into blessings. In the form of Ruth, we have the Moabite woman who enables people to bless. She receives blessings, but she, one might say she's the source of blessings. And perhaps this will end something else that's actually very interesting. And there are certain kinds of people who do this, and that's the character of Ruth in the book of Ruth. Boaz sees Ruth in the field, and Ruth is there in the field to pick up the gleanings in the field. It would appear, actually, that Ruth doesn't know. Ruth hasn't read the Chumash. Because in the Chumash it says that when you have a field, you are to leave things in the field for the poor people. You leave the edges of the field. If you drop things, you leave them in the field, etc. Leave them to the stranger and to the poor person. Ruth had said to Naomi, I'm going to go to the field and follow those that are harvesting the reapers, the kotsrim. After I find favor in the owner, of, the owner of the field, she thinks she has to find favor, but the truth of the matter is, the Torah didn't speak about finding favor. The Torah said, you go and gather. Now it's true, she does find favor, and she gets much more than the average gleaner gets. That is true. In any event, she goes to the field, hoping to pick up some crumbs to bring back home, Naomi has no food. Ruth has no food. She chances upon the field of Boaz. And when Boaz hears that Ruth is in the field, maybe next week we'll get back to this. How does he know all about Ruth? That's a very good question. And he seems to know a lot about her. And he says to her, stay in my field. And not only that, he says, not only stay in my field, 
and take whatever you want. No one's going to bother you. And then he adds, and when you get thirsty, and you will drink from what the, the men are drinking, the young men drink, you can drink as well. Why does the book of Ruth add that detail? Why does the book of Ruth have Boaz saying, and you can drink from what the young men drink? And I suggest the following, that actually the Chumash fought the Moabites. When you left the land, you were Baderach, you were on the journey, and they didn't give you lechem is that which sustains you it's not just bread they didn't give you sustaining food and they didn't give you drink and Boaz turns to Ruth and says to her you come to my field I'm going to give you plenty of food and I'm also going to give you plenty to drink and my point is not so much about Boaz actually but it's about Ruth. There are certain people that their very presence inspires others to behave properly. And this is an important point about Ruth, the outsider, the stranger. She's not only virtuous in her own right, but her behavior, which is completely selfless behavior, the behavior of Abraham, the behavior of Abraham not only not only is significant when he instructs others to do what he does. The instruction of Abraham, I suggest, is not just what he says. That's one kind of instruction. But there's a much more powerful means of instruction, and that is what he does. So what Ruth's behavior does over here in this verse is it inspires others to do the same. Here, Boaz is acting, Boaz becomes the anti-Moabite, as it were. He's giving not only Lechem, but he gives Mayim. He gives both. And that's the power of Ruth. And that's the significance of Ruth, of the outsider. The one that comes from the outside can not only be accepted by the community or tolerated by the community, but the point about Ruth is much more than that. She becomes an ex exemplar of, 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 of right behavior. And as evidenced here in chapter two, this is of course the uh, behavior of Ruth that's being copied, imitated by Boaz. So we'll see, of course, whether or not the community will accept Ruth. That's the subject, not really of chapter two and not of chapter three. That's the subject of chapter four. Because the issue in the book, in the conclusion of the book, will be not whether Boaz accepts Ruth. Boaz will accept Ruth. Boaz will be taken with Ruth. Boaz blesses Ruth. Boaz is going to make sure somebody marries Ruth. That's not what chapter 4 is about. Chapter 4 is about something completely different. Will the Jewish community accept Ruth? The outsider, the hated Moabites. And of course, the answer is positive in the book. And we'll get to that very beautiful conclusion. But meanwhile, back to the character of Ruth, the, I would say the anti-Moabite, the daughter of Abraham, the not Lot, which in this book is truly the reason that Ruth is fully accepted. 
the Talmud, the rabbinic tradition, is asking a different question. How can we justify that based on the verse in Devarim, which says you exclude the Moabite? How do you justify it with the verses? Okay. Perhaps that's an important question. And they give an answer. Well, only the Moabite men, but not the Moabite women. Only those who might have come out normally. So they're not coming out to help you is negative. But the women probably stayed home. It wasn't their job to go out and to bring the stuff. Maybe they prepared the food, but the bringing it wasn't their job. So they're not going out is not seen as ex something which would exclude them. That's a technical response. But that's not the response of the Book of Ruth, nothing resembling it. The response of the Book of Ruth is a very different response, which is, she is a Moabite. But she doesn't behave like a Moabite. The exclusion of the Moabite for the Book of Ruth is not about a particular nation. It's not a genetic exclusion. It's an exclusion in terms of values and behaviors. How could one possibly exclude Abraham's daughter from the Jewish community? We're desperate for Abraham's daughters. We're desperate for Abraham. So the Book of Ruth says, if you behave like Abraham, you're accepted. It would be madness not to accept her, wouldn't it? That's the Book of Ruth. That's the, that's the idea of the chesed of the Book of Ruth. Let's just go back now to chapter one. Um, so Ruth, of course, is uh, saying to Naomi, don't try to convince me not to come with you. And I would just conclude with the following observation about Ruth in chapter one. And that is, when she says to Naomi, in verse number 17, that's, a, that's an oath. There are different forms of oath in the Bible, and one of them is God should do this to me and more if I fail to keep my word. There's something interesting about that. I'm not referring to the specific language of the oath in this case. But I'm referring to the oath in general. I swear I will go. And we are reminded of the fact that actually returning to the land, returning to the land takes the form of a pr promise, not just a promise, but a vow or an oath. And for example, when Yaakov is forced to leave the land, he's running away. Jacob took a vow. God, if you be with me, protect me. I will come back and I'll make you my God. When Jacob is in Egypt before his death, he makes Joseph swear that he will bring Jacob's body back to the land. When Israel is in the desert, and Israel is attacked by in chapter 21, the king of Arad, the southern king of Arad, and Israel took an oath and swears, God, if you permit me to be victorious, I will dedicate the cities to you. And God has sworn to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov that God will bring the people into the land. And God has sworn to Abraham at the Akeda that I promise that you will have this land. The land is 
return to by means of the oath. And the important point about the oath is, the oath, of course, is a promise you must keep. But the oath is more than that. The oath is a way of saying that the return to the land is a sacred obligation. Because in the Torah, that's where God is present. That's where God commands and God speaks. When Ruth says, I swear I will go to the land, she's not just making a promise and saying to Naomi, don't try to dissuade me because it can't work. I took an oath. But I believe she's saying much more than that. Where this is coming from, who knows? But what she's saying is, I see this as my sacred obligation. Now the sacred obligation here could be a sacred obligation because Ruth's understanding is that commitment to this other who is suffering is a sacred obligation. Her commitment to Naomi is more than I like her. She's my mother-in-law. I feel sorry for her. But for Ruth, it's an obligation that's different. It's the way I do God's work in this world is by supporting those who don't have, those who are suffering. That's minimally what it means. Perhaps she understands even more than that. Perhaps she sees the land in general as a place which encourages, allows, and instructs us to do the right thing. Perhaps she sees the land as the book of Devarim says, you reach out to those that don't have, you incorporate them. Naomi is an example for Ruth of a much larger obligation. But it is very striking that this Ruth returns to the land through an oath, as does Jacob twice, as does Israel in the desert, and as God does. God promises the land more than promises. God swears, I swear, says God, I swear by my own name that you, Abraham, and your descendants will possess the land. Where this insight comes from, we'll never know. How Ruth has this unbelievable insight, but that's how she is described in chapter one. And of course, once she says this, there's nothing to, to be said. Naomi stops trying to dissuade her, but she stops. Now they journey together. They journey together until they come to Beit Lechem. The two walk together. When they come to Beit Lechem, they are greeted by the people of Beit Lechem who are astonished. Are you Naomi? And Naomi's response is, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasantness, but call me bitter. God has made my life very bitter. So we'll stop at this point, but I wanted to remind all of us that there's someone else who sees herself as very bitter. And that is the person that appears in chapter one of the book of Shmuel, the beginning of the book of kingship. He marat nefesh, and she was bitter of soul. And she prayed to God and she was crying. That's the hero of chapter one of the book of the Kings and the idea of kingship, and that's Chana. And Chana prays for a king, and Chana prays for a leader. 
And Hannah says, and God should give strength to the one who reflects God's values. The book of Ruth is not about prayer. The book of Ruth is about action. It's about behavior. It's about a behavior that allows for the just king to emerge, which in the book of Ruth is the book of is David, the ending of the book. The just king will emerge from the heroic behaviors of the characters, of Naomi, of Boaz, and this morning we began with Ruth. So we have two more weeks. I did want to spend a fair amount of time on the story of Judah and Tamar and Lot and his daughters. The Judah-Tamar story is a central story for the book of Ruth. And then to get more deeply into the character of Naomi and especially the character of Boaz. It's nice during these times to be able to study a book which is so positive and so warm and so inspiring. And it's a good way to lead us up to the holiday of Shavuot as we progress through the Omer one day at a time. And we're hoping as we get closer and closer one day at a time, that step by step, the situation in our communities and the world is improving. So I look forward to seeing you or being with you again next week. Thank you for joining. Rabbi Silver, there was a question that was posted on the chat. Yes, what is it? Um, nice name. It said, could the language Boaz uses in Blessing Ruth, be playing off the language used in the prohibition against Moab, that Asher Sahar et Philem? That's a very good point. Okay, you know something? Whoever asked that question... Uh, that was Sima. Or Sima. Sima, good question, and I will... I have something to say about that language. Uh, I will, if you would mention it next week, I'll address it in the beginning of next week. Yes, I think that's an excellent point. And I have something to say about it. Uh, next week, I'll talk about that. Yes. Perfect. I'll save the question and I'll, I'll remind you of it next week. Yes, thank you. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Uh, bye.